I wanted particularly to pray for the persecuted church because it's on our hearts, but also in terms of this passage this morning. Because in the context, and whenever we read Jesus' words, and you can read a verse and take it out of context and go, wow, that's really, I don't understand that. But when you understand the context and, and the place where it, 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 it is placed in the scriptures, we begin to understand it more. So in my Bible, in the NIV, just the, the, that chapter that it comes from is under the heading, the cost of being a disciple. The cost of being a disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Does Jesus want us to love one another? Yes. He says so. He actually says that that's how people will know that we're his disciples, because of our love for one another. Does Jesus want us to honor our father and mother? Yes, he says so. There are passages in his teaching where he he fundamentally uh, um, backs that teaching from the Old Testament. Does he want us to love our spouses, our children and our siblings? Yes. Of course he does. So on face value from this passage, does Jesus ask us to hate them? Yes! And we're a bit confused, aren't we? It called to mind this story that I read of a father who had brought a work colleague home for dinner to share dinner with them. And as they were chatting before the meal, Uh, The father's two sons had got into an argument, into a fight. And the father called one of the sons, the younger son, to him to hear his side of the argument. And when he'd heard the side of the argument, he said to his son, Son, you're right. Sent him off. Then he called the older son to him. What's going on? He heard his side of the argument. And he said to his older son, Son, you're right. The guest was a bit perplexed by this because he'd overheard everything. And he said to the father, he said, "Um, they can't both be right. To which the father responded, yes, you're right. (laughs) We pick up the story of Jesus in this passage at a critical moment. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to die. He knows that. He's begun teaching his disciples what will happen. And Luke tells us in this passage that large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Large crowds. Impressed by his teaching, no doubt, because Jesus taught as they'd heard no one else teach with authority. Impressed or amazed by his miracles because Jesus did things that no one else could do or they'd ever seen do. And maybe they came in those crowds expectant of Jesus to be the messianic deliverer of their dreams. One who would smash the Roman oppression, deliver them 
But not even his closest friends could have imagined really what lay ahead for Jesus. Because not long after this, he would be betrayed by one of those who was closest to him. He would be arrested on fake accusations. He would be tried illegally at night on trumped-up charges. He would be condemned to death by a kangaroo court. He would be tortured and crucified. And the grace that he came to give would cost Jesus everything. The terrible cup of human sin, he would drink all of it. The dark abyss of God-forsakenness, he would enter completely. And it would be beyond the understanding of fair weather followers. And it still is. Those crowds would soon melt away. Even his friends, the closest friends who had walked with him for those three years would for a time abandon him. So in the context of this hard saying of Jesus, if we ask ourselves, what does salvation cost? For us, it is free. That's the amazing grace of Christianity that Jesus paid the cost for us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He gave that life for us. Salvation is free. What does following Jesus cost? It can cost us everything. As we've seen on the screen this morning. And that's the context, I believe, for this hard saying of Jesus. The cost of being a disciple. Jesus shocks his listeners. And I think it was deliberate. He gets their attention and ours. So what did it mean? The attitude which it seems to recommend or command goes against every grain of nature. It goes against the law of love for one's neighbor, which Jesus himself emphasized and radicalized in the story of the Good Samaritan, who was the neighbor. Jesus seems to be setting himself against the commandments of God, which he himself fulfills. And moreover, he seems to be contradicting even himself. Love one another. So what does he mean? Is he pointing out that just as wealth and property and possessions, remember if you don't know the story of the rich young ruler, go back and perhaps find it, He wanted to know how he could inherit eternal life. And Jesus talked about the commandments. He said, I've kept all those. And then he pinpointed one thing that was keeping him from the kingdom of God. He put his finger on one thing. It was his wealth. It was a stumbling block to him. 
So maybe, as Jesus points out to others, that wealth or property possessions can become a stumbling block, that you can't serve two masters. Maybe so that relates to family ties. If our family, if our earthly family keeps us from following Jesus, keeps us from the kingdom of God, it has become a stumbling block. If we do not become a follower of Jesus because someone else doesn't want us to, or because we we don't want to go against their wishes or their feelings, it becomes a stumbling block. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world have to face that incredible choice. Because if you're a Muslim background believer in many countries, you are completely abandoned by your family. And that affects every aspect of your life. It affects your work because you can't get work because you have to get the backing of your family in those kind of cultures. You lose everything. And this passage is in the midst of that context of counting the cost of being a disciple. Can he be challenging our priorities, our allegiances? What comes first in our lives? What is of most worth in our lives? Which equates to what do we worship? What we value the most, what we put most worth on, will end up being what we worship. And then we say, no, that's not true. We can't imagine for a moment worshipping our family. We wouldn't come to a building and, and worship our family. However much we love them, however they are dear to us. And I think this is at the heart of what Jesus is saying. It's, it's who comes first in our lives. If you are going to follow me, realize that it will cost. Persecution is the norm for Christian believers in our world. And we don't have to go too far back in our own history of this nation to know that there was persecution. And we don't know if it will ever come again to our nation. But we cannot be fair-weather followers of Jesus. We'll follow Jesus if it's all going well. We'll follow Jesus if he doesn't demand too much. We'll follow Jesus as long as he blesses us. But when the pressure comes and the difficulties come, how often do we wonder, where is God? And we lose sight that he was the one who laid his life down for us. He gave up everything for us. And in this life, we will experience difficulties. There will be pain and there will be suffering. But this is not all there is. I believe this passage speaks about a greater love, a higher claim, a deeper loyalty. A call by Jesus to an overriding commitment to his cause and his kingdom that turns our worlds upside down. We know we can't follow Jesus and be lukewarm. 
Jesus challenges that in the book of Revelation in his letters to the churches. Nominal Christianity is the most unfulfilled way of life that there is. Because if we lose that priority of Jesus, the passion for Jesus, when the rubber hits the road, what will last? What will hold us through the storms of life? The storms of persecution. When we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, I guess all of us stand in awe a little bit because when we challenge ourselves, would I, would we survive in that environment? It's hypothetical. We don't know, do we? Because God gives us what we need at that time. But as you left home this morning, if, just imagine for a moment, if, You had been threatened that if you turn up at this place, you could be arrested. There could be a mob of 400 people waiting outside. It would make us think twice, would it not? And maybe we'd think of different ways of meeting together. And maybe we would do things differently. I know it's hypothetical, but I believe that Jesus, when the crowds are following him and they're all expecting this Jesus to be the Jesus of their expectations and he challenges them to the core. What's your first love? It's a question he asks Peter after the resurrection, doesn't he? Do you love me more than these, Peter? What does he mean? We don't know exactly what he meant. Does he mean, do you love me more than the other disciples? Do you love me more than your family? We know Peter for a while must have abandoned his wife and his family to go on the missionary journeys that he did. But then we read later on that his wife has accompanied him again. There were sacrifices to be made. Do you love me more than these? I don't believe for a moment Jesus is asking us to hate our family. It's that hyperbole. I couldn't pronounce it. When I read the word, hyperbole is what I came up with. I don't know why English is so difficult to read. But Hermie, who knows more about these things, told me it's pronounced hyperbole. When you exaggerate something to make a point, but the point is made... You know, Karis was married two weeks ago. I did the father of the bride's speech. I expressed my love for my daughter. But do I love Jesus more? Of course I do. Of course I do. He died for all my sins. He saved me from eternal separation with God, which I deserved. He has done something for me that no one else could ever do for me. And I will be eternally grateful. And I'm not grateful enough. 
But interestingly, it doesn't make me love my daughter less, loving Jesus. I think it helps me love her more. But Jesus is challenging the priorities. If it came to it, and we can't answer this question, can we? Would you choose your daughter or Jesus? Some of you will remember Ron Boyd McMillan's teaching that we had from Revelation. That incredible story that he told of a pastor who shot his daughter to keep her from the hands of IS. Because he knew what they would do to her. Did he hate his daughter? No. And he lives with that. So it's that really challenging thing, this passage to us, when Jesus says, to be my disciple, hate your father, mother, your brothers, sisters, your children. And that's the bit we find hard. But when he says, take up your cross and follow me, we just kind of breeze over that bit. That's not hard at all, is it? And what it meant in the context of Jesus was, were you willing to die for him? Take up your cross and follow me. Now, I think that's a hard saying of Jesus. His call here is to reorder our lives in the light of who he is, in the light of what he has done for us. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus summed up the law in those words. But he challenges the crowds that have gathered around him. They will only survive as followers of Jesus if Jesus comes first. Matthew picks out this saying in a different way. He says, he who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's still challenging. To whom do we put first in our lives? However much we love our families, they cannot save us. And we must always keep the shadow of the cross between us and them. Jesus here is not contradicting himself. He hated no one. He loved all. He came to save all, even his enemies. But he challenges, shocks his audience to thinking about what it means to count the cost. In the most arresting and challenging language, he made it clear that as followers of Jesus, we must be prepared to give up everything. Can we understand now why the crowds began to thin out? He is not telling us to hate our nearest and dearest. 
but he is calling us. To make him nearer and dearer. First. That's why it's a hard saying. Let's pray together. We need some help.